This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey, good day, friends, family, um, Austin Life Church, those uh, of you who are checking things out, uh, who have been invited to, to worship with us, welcome all of you, anyone and everyone. Uh, I'm so glad that you are joining us virtually. Um, I'm even more excited that on September the 13th, um, we are planning on meeting back in the person, uh, in the flesh, at 5925 Dillard Circle. Mike, is that the right address? Yep. 5925 Dillard Circle, uh, 10 a.m. Um, so we're obviously going to send out more communication as we go, but uh, we're, we're ex- I'm so excited um, to, to be with people. Uh, that's, that's something we're, we're eagerly uh, ready for. I want to tell you about this. Um, Mike bought a good handful of these. Uh, so this is called the ESV Illuminated Scripture Journal. Um, so they've got one of these for each book of the Bible. Uh, and, and it's just got the, the book with uh, the scriptures on one page and then space to journal and write on the other. Um, I think these are would be fantastic for just personal Bible study and devotion. If you just want to go through the book of Ephesians, um, I'm planning on doing this in my discipleship group, uh, just going through this together, and then we'll meet up together and just talk about what we read and what we, you know, the thoughts and questions and interpretate. Like we'll just talk about it together. And so uh, I, I think these would be great resources. Um, just sometimes we need something that's more. Uh, the whole Bible sometimes, I think when we look at it, we can get overwhelmed. Like, what book do I read? Um, and it can just be a lot. Uh, and so this kind of just breaks it down and gives us a start and finish and uh, focuses us in. And, and it's, got, it's got really good artwork. I love the artwork. This one has a sword, uh, and I love swords. Um, I just really think that if I were born a long time ago, I would have I wielded a pretty good sword. That's just, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but... Uh, it's just, it's just kind of what I, what I think. Um, so now that we've talked about that, uh, and everybody knows me a little more, <laughs> Exodus 34. That's where we're going to be today. Um, let me, let me read the passage again, and then we'll talk about it. So uh, G- Moses has asked God to, to show him uh, his glory, his presence, himself, and God says. Okay, but it's a lot, so I'm going to hide you in a rock, and I'm going to cover you up as I pass by, and then I'll let you see the backside of me. God's glory, God's holiness, um, just who He is, is more than our minds can even comprehend. Um, we can think and dream and imagine and, 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 and just go all out and, and realize that God's beyond that and bigger than that. Um, and so this is, these are the words that God gives us. This is how he describes himself um, to Moses. He says in verse 6, The Lord, the Lord. Remember, that if it's Lord, L-O-R-D, all in caps, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Um, it's, the, it's the name given to the God of the Bible that, that means I am who I am. Um, I, I am simply God. Like, th- this is who I am. It will not change. It cannot change. This is me. Um, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Right? So God's mercy restrains his anger and his grace moves forward with love. His mercy 
restrains the anger that is due to our sin and his grace moves forward toward us with, with love. Um, and abounding in faithfulness. Uh, he is true. Um, his word is true. What he said, he will do. What he promises, he will keep. He is faithful uh, to us. And then he says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. God as judge. Uh, what we see in verse 7 here is judgments being made. Um, we see forgiveness and also at the same time judgment of not clearing the guilty. Uh, so we see forgiveness and, and condemnation um, in, in the same sentence. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about God as, as judge today. Let's pray uh, before we, we jump in further. Um, Holy God, uh, I just want to ask you to speak to us. Um, let us hear your voice through your word. Um, let us hear your voice through what I say. Let us know um, you, um, not, not me, not, not anything else, but, but your voice. Um, we're asking for more of you, just like Moses did. Show us. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, and you know, one thing that I think people in general, um, and especially it seems our generation, our culture, um, one thing that we really hate is uh, wolves. Uh, no, not really. Um, I think a lot of people like wolves. But for real, um, one thing that people hate is being told they're wrong. We hate it when someone else tells us that we are, are doing something wrong. Um, in particular, we hate it when someone tells us we're wrong when we actually think we're right. Uh, that's that's the worst, man. We we will straight we'll go to blows over that if we're like, no, I'm right, and someone's like, no, you're wrong. I mean, that just that presses the depths of our souls, right? So if if you're a parent and someone else interjects about your parenting, tells you how to parent or or how you shouldn't parent, we were at Costco the other day. I love Costco, by the way. Shout out to Costco. Um, and, and we were going in and the kids, th this was, uh, the whole mask thing, like the law was, was pretty fresh. And we were like, okay, so who has to wear a mask? Can kids 10 and under, like, do they have to wear masks? So all these questions, right? So the, the younger kids of our kids, we have some, we have some kids, uh, they didn't have masks on. And, and we were going in and the, the, the checker person, the entry door person um, at Costco stopped Stephanie and was like, your kids need to wear a mask. And she was hot. Woo. She was like, "Why? who do they think they are? They don't think I care for my kids. They don't think I know how to parent my kids. Woo. You want to you get going to her, man. Tell her how to parent. Um, but we hate it when we think we're doing something right and someone else is like, no, you're not. Uh, work, right? If we think we're doing a job right, we're working, we're doing it right, and someone else comes in to correct us, to tell us to do it differently, um, we're like, who do they think they are? Um, you know, uh, perhaps... You've picked someone that you want to date or marry and uh, and someone's like, nah, they're not right or, you know, this isn't the best fit or something. And you just kind of like, let's go. Like, let's roll up the sleeves. We're not, you're going to tell me how to live my life, you know. Um, we hate, hate it when, when people tell us we're wrong, especially when we think we're right. The, the anthem of our day um, that, that we see really just pre prevalently across culture is, hey, don't judge me. 
Don't judge me. Don't tell me how to live my life. Uh, judge not lest you be judged, sucker. Let's go. Come on. Like We do not want someone to declare a judgment over us. Uh, we will throw down. And so, I mean, that's what you see. Gosh, we see just all kinds of, of movements and, and just taking over of like, hey, don't tell me how I can or can't live my life. Don't tell me how I should or shouldn't leave, live my life. Uh, don't judge me. Don't tell me what's right or wrong. Um, it, it just runs deep in us. And yet, none of us really have a problem with, with judging. Like None of us are, are, believe fundamentally deep down that, that judgment is wrong. Even if right now you're like, no, 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 everybody should get to call their own. Like Everybody is their own determination of right or wrong. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call false. I'm, I'm gonna say no. You don't even believe that because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let's put. Let's put Hitler on trial. Is what Hitler did was it right or wrong? Um, even if you believe that every person gets to call their own shots, you're gonna say no. That's wrong, right? Um, and, and if you're gonna say no, that's right. That like he gets to call his own shots. Well, yeah, he's his own person, but it doesn't make what he did right. Um, what about child abuse? Is that right or wrong? You might sit there and say like, oh no, that's wrong. You can't abuse child children. Well, what if someone else is like, but I think that it's okay. Is it okay that, no, it is universally wrong to abuse children, period, end of story. Like that's not okay. Uh, slavery, right or wrong? We're gonna sit here and say, that's wrong. Like it's just wrong. Like, so we don't have problems making judgments. We, we all believe there is a standard of right or wrong. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's going to look different across different cultures, but each culture is going to say there's a standard for right or wrong, which means somewhere at some level, there must be an ultimate standard of right or wrong. There has to be. For us to even have that concept of right or wrong, it must have originated somewhere, and, and there has to be a standard of, of right or wrong. And so, we don't have a problem of that. We, we just don't like to be told we're wrong. So here's the thing. There is a standard of right or wrong. This is what changed C.S. Lewis even. Um, uh, one of the most famous uh, Christians of, of our day was not always a Christian. Um, he was an atheist for a long time. But then he, he just kept getting hung up with this morality. Where does morality even come from unless there is an ultimate moral lawgiver that that determines what is moral and what is immoral. And, and so th there is a standard. There must be a standard. And if there is a standard, there must be a judge who determines what is right and wrong. So let's 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 agree we all believe there is a right or wrong. Even if you're saying no, everybody gets to choose what is right or wrong. You're saying what is right is that everybody gets to choose what is right or wrong. So we all believe there is a right and a wrong. And, and I ultimately believe, and the Bible teaches, that God is the definer of right and wrong. That, that He is the originator. The reason we have a moral compass and a moral code is that God created us as a moral God and gave us this inner guide that is called morality. And, and he is the judge of right and wrong. He is the one that says, here's right, here's wrong. If you do right, good. If you do wrong, bad. He is the judge. He sets the standard. 
And what I believe the Bible teaches is that that is a necessary and good and loving reality of God. God as judge is necessary and good and loving. So let's look back at verse 7. Keeping, step, or, yeah, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So you see in here that God is acting as judge. You see forgiveness and you also see condemnation. You see forgiving iniquity and you also see, but he will not clear the guilty of their iniquity. Um, so let's, let's talk about this as, as God in, in judge. There's two things I want to look at. Let's talk about his condemnation first, his punishment of the guilty. It says in the, the second half there of verse 7 that he will by no means clear the guilty. God will declare the guilty guilty. If, if he is judged and there's someone standing before him and they are guilty, God will declare them guilty. By no means will he, will he clear them, and wipe the slate clean. And, and it says that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children. So, so two things I want to look at. One, God is going to declare the guilty guilty. He will not clear the guilty. He will not just wipe the slate clean of those who are truly guilty. If we stand before him guilty, that is what we will be condemned as guilty, right? The second thing I want to talk about, and then we'll go back to that first one. The second thing is visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children. That what is he saying here? That, that my iniquity, my sin will be passed down to my children and to their children, to my grandchildren, that, that they will be condemned for, for my sin? And based on other, other sections of the Bible, Ezekiel 18, 19 is one, or Deuteronomy 24, 16, or even the New Testament, Romans 3, um, Romans 6, right? The Bible makes very clear that all have sinned and that my children will be condemned as guilty because of their own sin, because they are guilty of sin. And my grandchildren will be condemned as guilty because they themselves are guilty of their own sin. So what does this mean then? What, what is God saying to Moses? I think two things in, in what I've read and studied. One is that the consequences of my sin will be felt by my children and by their children. Uh, our sin never just affects ourself, ever. Uh, that is a lie straight from the devil that he whispers and says, no, 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 it's just going to affect you. Like, this is just going to be your problem. No one else will suffer from this. Um, you can just kind of bury this and no one else will, will have to deal with it. And that is absolutely 100% false. Our sin never just affects ourself, but it affects those we love and those around us. And so my sins... My children will be affected by it. They will suffer consequences because of my sins. So let me break that down a little more. If, if I go and, and sin and no one else knows, right? No one else, I'm like, okay, th th I'm going to bury this and no one has to know. If, if I'm sitting on my computer and I'm, I'm you know, looking at things I shouldn't be looking at, but no one else knows. and Well, here's the problem. 
that sin of just my own doing is going to eat away at my inside. It is contrary to how God made me. And as a Christian, it is contrary to the Spirit of God in me. And so it will change me. It will eat away at me. And thus, it will leave me to not be the best version of myself as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend. I will not be able to give the best version of myself to others. Therefore, others will suffer, whether they even realize it or not, they will suffer because of my sin. It never just affects yourself, ever. And so one of the things I believe God is teaching here is that the, the father's sins, and moms, you're included as well, um, that our sins, our, our children will feel the consequences of it. They will. The ones we love the most will feel and suffer the consequences of our sin. The second thing that I believe it teaches is that our children will more than likely follow in our footsteps. And I guarantee you, you probably know this. You've probably already started to see the way that you pattern your mom and dad. If you've been to counseling, man, I was, I mean, every time I'm, I'm with our counselor, uh, they're, they're talking about like, okay, let's talk about your, 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 your childhood, how you were raised, what you grew up as, like what are the influences of your parents, right? Because those things that, that my parents um, imparted on me, either directly or indirectly, shape who I am today. The anxieties and fears and personality that I have today is shaped by my parents. And so the propensity that my parents have is most likely the propensity that I have. And so the, our children will most likely follow in our footsteps. And so we, we see that our, our transgressions, our iniquity is visited on our children because they most likely follow our lead, our pattern. Now that doesn't mean that God won't change people, but, but it does mean that there's a greater chance our kids will follow in our footsteps and our propensities and have similar temptations and struggles that, that we have. And so that's what I believe God is teaching here when it comes to visiting the iniquity on the children and the children's children. Um, so now let's go back to the first point, that God will, will not clear the guilty. That God is the lawgiver. He wrote the law of what is right and what is wrong, and He is the judge of that law. He, he takes His law and He puts every person in front of it, and He judges right and wrong. Um, it, it's over in... Uh, Hebrews, uh, oh man, where'd my reference go? Um, Hebrews 9.27 says that it is um, ordained that, that man live and then die and then be judged. We, we will be, be judged. In Matthew, it says that we're going to be judged for our works, that God is going to judge us based on our works, our good and our bad. Um, we are going to stand before the judge. Every one of us, we are going to stand before the judge, and the Bible says that he will not clear the guilty. If on that day when we die and we stand before God as judge and he judges us and the verdict comes back guilty, he says he will not clear the guilty. They will be condemned. And this is necessary and also good. It is necessary and good that God will not clear the guilty. It's necessary because God is not a good and just God if he, if he just clears the guilty. 
If God just lets the guilty go, he is not a good and just judge. Think about it like this. Imagine that, imagine someone that, that you love, a brother or a sister or a kid or a mom or a dad or a spouse, like someone, someone that is close to you, you know, that, that you really love. And imagine that they are walking home from work one day or they're just walking in the neighborhood. They're just walking along the sidewalk. They're doing everything. And, and a drunk driver swerves over and, and hits them. And they are in the hospital, in a coma, hanging on to life. The, the driver um, was the one who called in the accident. The driver didn't flee. The driver stayed on the scene. Um, but as a drunk driver you know, was arrested and is now being on trial for um, you know, involuntary uh, attempted manslaughter or whatever that would be, you know, drunk driver, like he's on trial. So this person who has carelessly and, and foolishly um, and selfishly chosen to drink too much and then get behind the wheel and hit the person that you love and put them in a hospital where they may die, they are now on trial in the courtroom and you're there. You're there as a family and as a, as a you know, witness to the, to the scene. And, and so the judge has this person in front. And and says, look, it's, it's clear that you are guilty. You, you, you called it in, you were there at the scene. Um, it's clear that you drank too much, you drove and you hit this person and, and that you're guilty. But, but really when I, you know, the judge says, when I look at your record, you know, you, you were responsible enough to call it in. You didn't take off. You, when I look at the rest of you, like you're a great employee. You've never had any problems at work. Now your family loves you. Um, they say that this has never happened before. Uh, you, you, you go to church and you serve in your church and you, you serve at the elderly, um, at, the, at the senior home. Um, you go and you, you spend time and you play cards there with, with the seniors. Um, you're a really good person. You know, yeah, there's this one issue here, but other than that, you're really good. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you'll just if you promise not to do it again, we'll just... We'll let it go. We'll be fine. If you were the loved one and the judge says that to the person who, who drunkenly hit your family member and the judge says, you know, it, it's, it, you're, you're really a good person. We won't worry about it. it how are you going to feel about that? N no, absolutely not. Right? Like you, you, that is no. That judge is not just. That judge is, is, is not um, living by the letter of the law. They're a terrible judge. Um, and so that's the thing with God. If he just says, oh, we'll, we'll clear the guilt, no big deal. He's a terrible judge. He, he is not the God of the Bible. He is not good. He is not loving. He is not righteous. He is not faithful. He's not just. He, he cannot be God. So God is necessary in order for God to be God. He has to punish the guilty. There has to be condemnation given. He can't just clear the guilty. It's also good and loving that God punish the guilty. It's also good and loving that God not clear the guilty. If, if, I, see, if I see my wife doing something that is harmful to herself and I don't care, I don't, I don't attack that, like, that's unloving to me. If I see one of my kids is sick, 
right? They, they, they've got a virus and I don't seek to get medicine to, to kill the virus. I don't take them to the doctor to, to attack that virus. I don't do whatever I can do to attack the poison against their body. That's cruel. I'm not loving them. It's not good. The, the Bible teaches that sin is the poison of hell that has infected our bodies and has separated us from God. It is unloving if God does not attack the sin within us. If God doesn't hate the sin within us, he doesn't love us. He's letting us put poison in our lives. And so it is good and loving that God hates and attacks the sin that is in us. There's a a Yale theologian, um, his name is Miroslav Volf, uh, you may have heard of him before. Um, he said, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. If God were not angry at injustice and deception, and if he did not make a final end to violence, a judgment against that sin, he is not a God worthy of worship. It is good that God punishes the guilty. It is good that God hates the sin and attacks that which is in opposition to him and to those he loves. It's God's love. So how does God enact punishment? I think, um, I think a common thought today is that we die and if, if we haven't asked for forgiveness, if we haven't sought God, then we just kind of were, were judged, the gavels drop guilty and we just kind of fall back into this dark abyss of hell and we're crying out, God, please, no, give me another chance, have mercy. And, and, we, and God's like, no, you had your chance, now you're off to hell. I think we have this view that, that God is condemning us and is like, get him out of here, send him away, you know, and, and that we're crying for mercy and, and God's just this mean God who's like, you had your chance, sucker, now you're off to hell. And and that's not what the Bible teaches. Romans 1.24, it, it tells us how God enacts his punishment, how he, he lets it be. Romans 1, it says that, that, that all of mankind knows of, of God in creation, and yet we suppress the truth and we exchange the creator for the created. We worship the created rather than worshiping the creator. And in, and in verse 24 of chapter 1 is one of the hardest verses. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26 continues with the same thought. For this reason, God gave them up. Romans 1 teaches the, the pattern of humanity is that we have desired the created rather than the creator. We have desired to go our own way rather than follow and trust God. And God gave us up to go our own way. God gave us up. He gave us the freedom to choose 
our own path. And, and it is, Proverbs, Proverbs uh, 14, 12 says it is the path to death. The verse says that there's a, there's a way that seems right to man. There's a path that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. Psalm 16, 11 says in God's presence is the fullness of joy. And so the punishment that God gives when, when we are guilty is that he just lets us go the way that we desire to go. His way, his presence is the path of life, and we have chosen to step off of his path and to go our own way, and God knows that it is a path of death. God knows that it is the path of destruction, yet it is what we desire, and God gives us up to our own desires. He lets us go our own way, and that is how punishment happens. It's, it's the path of selfishness. We are going our, we're choosing ourself, our way rather than his, and the path of selfishness is always destruction. Tim Keller, he, he has a chapter in his book, The Reason for God, on how can, how can God sentence people to hell? Like, how can God be loving and yet condemn people to hell? And he makes the point that God doesn't send people to hell, we choose hell. We choose to go our own way, and by never choosing to repent and turn to God, we are forever choosing the path of hell. And so the point he makes is not that God is sitting there saying, go to hell, but rather we are for eternity saying, God, I don't want you. I want to go my own way, and that is the path of hell. So if I forever, we all know, we all know, we teach our kids, we know in our heart that selfishness is destructive. Selfishness will destroy lives around us, will destroy everything we love, will destroy ourselves, will just eat away at us. And if we, for all of eternity, choose selfishness, we're walking to an eternal, increasing abyss of misery. Pretty good definition of hell. And so God's punishment, the way that, that he enacts his punishment is by giving us up, letting us choose our own way for all of eternity. That is how hell comes about. In the meantime, until that final judgment, we, we, we receive the punishment, more of a passive punishment, by God allowing us to suffer the consequences of our actions. We've all experienced consequences because of our actions. Some, some small and some great. There, I would bet every one of us today is presently suffering some form of consequence from past actions. And, and that is God allowing us to be punished for our sin. It's also God's grace and mercy to not let us stay that way, but to hopefully open our eyes to go, this is miserable and terrible. What am I doing? So many times where the punishment, the consequences come, it's God saying, hey, hey wake up. What are you doing? This is stupid. Stop. You don't like this. So if you're sensing that right now, if you're feeling that, that's God's mercy and kindness to not leave you where you are, but to, to get your attention and say, what are you doing? But God lets us feel the consequences of today. And then if we never repent and trust him, he gives us up. And for eternity, we will choose ourself, which is the separation of God, which is the separation of his presence, the fullness of joy. And that is what hell is, is choosing the absence of God for all of eternity.
Trust me, we don't want to be there. We don't want that. So yes, God is judge. He will not clear the guilty, and that is necessary and good. But at the same time, if we look just before that in verse 7, it says that he is a God forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So this God who will not clear the guilty also forgives the guilty. He will not clear the guilty. They will be condemned. He also says, you're forgiven. How does the God who doesn't clear the guilty clear the guilty? How can he in one breath say, I will by no means clear the guilty, and yet also in the same sentence say, I forgive the guilty. I clear the record of the guilty. How does that happen? And that's where the best news comes in. This is where we, we, if you've been like asleep or you're like, this guy is talking too long again or whatever, or you got up to get some coffee or here, settle in, put away your distractions, shut the door, lean into this. God will not clear the guilty. And yet he says he forgives the guilty. Here's where we have to start. We are all guilty. I really don't think I have to argue that point much. I think we know. It, whether you believe in God or not, let's just assume there is God, that this God is the God of, that he's real and that this is true. We all know that we have not lived up to this standard. We all know that we've not lived up to our own standards. We've not lived up to any standard of right and wrong. We've all messed up. We know that. And so whatever is the law and whoever the judge is, we're not perfect. Therefore, by definition, we're guilty. So again, if I get caught in a, in, in, a, in a crime, it doesn't matter if the rest of my life is good. I'm still guilty for that crime, right? So we've all messed up. We're all guilty, and we have to start there that we're guilty. The Bible says we're guilty by choosing ourselves. Adam and Eve did it in Genesis 3. They, God said, don't eat of the fruit, and they're like, but we really want to eat of the fruit, God, so we're going to do our own thing. Boom. They take it, they eat, they choose their own way. That's called sin, guilt, and it separates them from God. And Romans 3 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all walked away from Him and fallen short of His perfect standard. We're all guilty. We have to embrace that. Therefore, by definition, we are deserving of condemnation. We are condemned guilty because God will not clear the guilty. But God, who is abundant and rich in love, he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation. There is innocence. There's no condemnation. There is forgiveness of guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the answer to how God will not clear the guilty yet will clear the guilty has something to do with Jesus. Because he says here in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt for those who are in Jesus. How does that work? Imagine that we have, we're standing before God as judge. That day's going to come. 
for all of us. Every single one of us will stand or kneel or sit, or I, I don't know what we'll do, but we will face God as judge. And he is going to look at our life and he's going to hold up his standard, his law, and he's going to judge our life against it. Do not dishonor your father and mother. I'm out, I'm sure all of us are. Do not lie. Well, I'm sure we've done that too. Do not steal. Okay, I remember taking a Reese's peanut butter cup from a grocery store, right? Like, it, we can fill in the gap. Don't hate your brother. Don't, like, so we are, we're guilty. We're guilty. We're going to stand before God and his perfect record. And by the letter of the law, we are guilty. And this judge is perfect and will not clear the guilty. That puts us in a predicament. We're guilty. And he's not going to clear the guilty. He's judge. He condemns the guilty. And so we know. We know what the verdict is. And yet Jesus, who is God, he steps out of heaven to come and stand in our place. So Imagine we're in this court scene and God the judge is judging us and we know what he's about to say. The gavel is raised and we know. And Jesus, he steps in front of us in between God the Father and ourselves. And he spreads out his arms and he says, I'll take the punishment for them. The, the record of wrong, Colossians 1 says, their, their, their list of wrongdoings, put it on me and I'll take it. So God doesn't clear the guilty. God condemns the guilty. Jesus just takes our condemnation. Jesus takes our guilt. God is a good, just judge, and he punishes the guilty. It's just that Jesus suffers the punishment in our place. That is how he doesn't clear the guilty, and yet he's able to clear the guilty. Because Jesus takes our guilt on the cross. That is why he died, is so that he would suffer the punishment that we deserve for being guilty. That is why Romans 8 can say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have trusted Jesus, he has taken their condemnation. And because he's God, he rose from the dead and he took off the chains of our sin. He took off our records of guilt and condemnation and he left them in the grave. And he walked out of the grave completely free of sin. And now he stands and he says to us, hey, I have suffered and died for your condemnation, for your guilt. If you will trust me, we'll throw it in the grave and God will remember it no more. He will choose not to look at it anymore. And you can have a new life free of condemnation by my life. Are you with me? We are guilty. Jesus steps in our place and suffers for us. And if we trust him, he takes our guilt and leaves it in the grave that he was buried in. And then he rises from the dead. He is alive today, free of our sin, free of our guilt, free of any condemnation. And he says, hey, you, you can be free too. You can have new life too. You can be cleared of guilt too. If you trust me, it's done. And your sins are forgiven 
and you are made new in faith by Jesus. When we stand before God, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus. Therefore, we're not called guilty because Jesus has taken our guilt and we're given new life forever. That's what's happening in Exodus here. That's what God is saying he does, is that he will punish the guilty, yet he'll forgive the guilty by, by Jesus suffering that punishment for us. So what do we do with that? One, receive it. And if you have never received that gift of forgiveness and new life, here's what the Bible tells you to do. Just receive it. Jesus has done the work. He's lived the perfect life we were supposed to live, the sinless life. He died the death for our sins that we deserve to die. He takes our record of guilt on himself. And if we trust him, he leaves it in the grave so that it is done and settled and buried. And then because he is alive, he gives us new life for eternity. Today, we can be spiritually alive forever. We just receive it in faith. We trust him. We trust that Jesus will do all of that for us. And so, do, do you trust him? Like, do you really trust him? Just receive that gift. Receive that forgiveness. Otherwise, we're on our own. We're standing before God the judge on our own. And it's not going to go well. The second thing is we just rest and enjoy the forgiveness that Jesus offers. This reality should amaze us. It should stun us. It should floor us. We rest in it. We enjoy it. We, we live in the freedom of God's grace, that, that his riches of forgiveness were paid for at the expense of Christ, and he wants us to live free. It is for freedom, Galatians says, that we are free, we're set free to live in freedom of sin and of condemnation, that the chains of our weight of sin are just taken off and we're free. And so we rest in that and we, we think on that and we enjoy that and we live in that. Now, here's, here's the thing. Uh, there's many times where I cognitively know that, but I just am not that impressed. I'm just... It's just kind of like, yeah, I know, and I should be more excited about that. Like, when we sing songs about Jesus paid my debt in full, like, I should be jumping up and down because I had a debt of sin that he paid for in full. That should move me to celebration and joy and passion and exuberance and thriving in him. And yet, at the same time, I'm just not a lot of times. I get it. I know that feeling. I'm there, too, a lot. And... That's okay, but let's not stay there. Let's not stay in that place. Let's not insult the work of Jesus by being like, eh, yeah, thanks, whatever. Let's not insult him, and let's enjoy the life he gives us. Here's the biggest problem I think we have. The biggest reason why I don't think we, we do, we, I don't think we rest in it, is we don't take the time to sit and be still with God and, and just sit in and think on his grace. We are so dadgum busy and hurried and rushed and distracted and we just like to settle for lesser things so much. And, and, and we're like, I don't have time in my day, but it, we really have time. We just prioritize other stuff. 
I really believe the biggest reason that we're not moved to joy and excitement about what Jesus has done is we just don't take the time to sit and focus on it and think on it and read on it and just be still with God. Man, we're like, done, okay, I'm out, back to work, put on Netflix, let's talk with some people. Like, let's just learn to sit in his word. So let's try something this week. What if the first thing you do when you wake up, the first thing you do when you wake up is pray? And make it be a short prayer. God, help me to focus on you today. And then maybe go grab a cup of coffee, whatever it is that kind of helps you wake up a little bit, and then sit down before your day gets going and just sit with the Lord. And you know that moment where you're like, okay, I'm done, or this is awkward? Like, hit that moment and then say, but I'm going to stay here another five minutes and just just sit. I just think that we've got to learn how to be still with God. What else do we do with this? We should treat others with the same grace that we've been treated. If God has forgiven us, we we can and we should forgive others. Now that's a big topic. I know. Um, I get it. I, I full. I understand. I understand the challenge of forgiveness, um, but we want to we want to demonstrate the grace that was demonstrated to us, and we're able to by Christ in us. So we lead with grace. We fight for holiness with one another. God is judge. He's given us his, his law and his ways, and it's the way of life. Let's love one another enough that when we see our brothers and our sisters heading the wrong way, that we will love them enough to say, don't do it. That's danger. It's death. It's steal, kill, and destroy. The way of Jesus is the way of life. Let's Let's judge our brothers and sisters with God's word in love and say, this is what God says. This is what you're demonstrating. I love you too much to not speak of. God is judge. It's necessary and it's good. He will not clear the guilty, but the good news is that we don't have to be guilty because Jesus offers to suffer our guilt for us if we will trust and give to him our faith. That's good news. That's good news. I love you. I want this to sink deeply in all of our hearts that our lives will truly not just be religious, but will be transformed by the power of God and his word. Let's pray and then let's continue to worship the God who offers us forgiveness when we deserve condemnation. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness your offer of new life. Father, help us to see clearly what you've offered us. God, let us hear your voice, your invitation, whatever that is today. And may we respond in faith. Look, before we sing another song, I want to invite you to be still and listen for the voice of God. 
listen to what he may be saying to you right now. And his way is life, his way is good. Trust him fully and follow him. He promises, this God who is faithful, he promises it is good. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.